You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome. My name is Rabbi Nathan Glick, and this series of talks that I'm going to be giving is said in the framework of uh, a podcast called Some of My Best Friends Are Kabbalists, in which um, Rav Avramel Kivalevich and myself uh, discuss various uh, topics in Pneumia Satora. And um, this series of talks is a continuation of our previous podcast uh, talk where we had Lagba Omer Special, Bound to the Totality, Learning Up a Piece of Zohar Together. It was posted on on um, on May 17th. Okay. And in it, we did in fact try to learn up a piece of Zohar that dealt with the topic of Halal on Pesach, why don't you do a Halil Shalem um, on the latter days of Pesach, only on the first day of Pesach. That's the topic of the discussion in the Zohar. And um, since there was so much left that was... Uh, not really explained, and uh, so much work that still needed to be done, I felt that I would take it upon myself to um, go over this uh, um, text from the Zohar and, and um, work it up. Well, if not properly, then as at least as best as I can do. So, um, once again, if you're just checking in here, we're going to be dealing with a piece of the Zohar that is located in Sefer Vaikra, Parshat Emor, um, Daf Tzadi He Amud Bet at the end, and Daf Tzadi Vav Amud Aleph at the beginning. Um, if you want to find it online, then I think the best way to go is to um, look it up on Sepharia, where they have a complete Zohar text uh, with nice Nikud and uh, um, I don't know if they have any commentaries on it, but in any event, you can you know you can uh, plug in Sefer Hazoal Gimel Tzadihe Bet, and um, you will get to where you need to go. And um, oh yes, one thing that I'd like to add before we continue is that I am primarily working with uh, with three commentaries or two commentaries, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, I have um, Rabbi Shalom Buzaglo's commentary Mikdash Melech to the to the Zohar, and Rabbi, Sh- Rabbi Shalom is a Talmud of Rabbi Moshe Zakuta. So in in the Sefer Vaikra, he has both his own commentary and commentary of his Rebbe, Rabbi Moshe Zakuta. So that's a very major, important name in in um, in Kabbalah and in commentary to the Zohar in particular. Um, and in addition to that, I'm also trying to work as much as I can with uh, with uh, the Zidetrever Rebbe, Rebbe Herschel Zidetrever, who wrote uh, commentaries to the to the Zohar as well. Although he doesn't have that much material on uh, on this particular uh, part, um, but nevertheless, the, you know, the bit that he has there is 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 quite helpful, I think. And after saying all of that, I I still need to add just for honesty's sake, that uh, 
if I feel like I need to be original in order to make the text be completely understood, um, I'm not going to hesitate to do that. So um, I'm taking a lot of inspiration from the from the older commentaries, but uh, I am not limiting myself to things that they that they said. One of the problems with learning Zohar, it's a problem I think in this particular piece, is that there seems to be a lot of repetition. You know, the same words get repeated over and over and over again. And so that obviously makes you wonder, you know, why say the same thing so many times? My response to that has kind of, you know, come together over over time as I've been as I've been trying to learn Zayar and uh, working with the with the traditional commentaries, that uh, the Zayar works very much the way that uh, that you know Pshutosha Mikra works, where the way the way Chumash works. You know, the Torah doesn't mind repeating itself. The Torah repeats itself a lot. I mean, take for example the story of of uh, of Eliezer Eved Avraham going to find uh, Rivka. Lots of repetition there. Um, but the the thing the thing to look out for is the small differences between one repetition and the next, because that means that every repetition actually is a further explication of the theme. Okay, and you would not be able to see the contrasts of the small points if you didn't do the repetition over. And Rashi says something very similar with one of his one of his uh, comments to. Um, to the menorah, that the, you know, the, this uh, this parsha was repeated because of the new thing that needs to be stated there. Now, of course, it could have taken that new thing and put it in the, put it in the previous parsha as well. Okay, but no, the Torah cho- chooses to repeat the whole the whole um, parsha of the menorah in order to focus our attention on what is different in this parsha. What is the new thing over here? Because when you have a new thing in a repeated context that gives you a kind of a, a, a redefinition or a reconceptualization of the meaning of the menorah or whatever subject we're speaking about. So I've come to the conclusion over time that this is the way that the Zayhar operates also. It doesn't mind repeating itself. Um, but when it does repeat itself, it repeats itself with various you know variations and changes. And it's kind of up to us to notice the changes and ask ourselves, okay, so what do these changes indicate about the development of the idea as it's being put forward? So the Zohar doesn't always develop ideas through like a question and answer debate um, kind of uh, process, kind of a discursive process that we, 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 know from, we know from the Gemara, but it does develop ideas through repetition and variation. So I'm trying in this piece to kind of utilize that methodology and and to and to see what happens, um, I hope that I'm Bezrat Hashem going to be successful and that I will be, um, you know, mechaven to the truth at least partially. I'm always kind of inspired by the Kamar Rebbe who they asked him one day why he called his commentary to the Zayhar Zayhar Chai, Living Zayhar, where Zayhar lives. And and he said it's because I don't presume to be able to give you the explanation of a certain passage of the Zohar because Zohar is a very very multi layered book and it probably has infinite meanings rolled up into it. The only thing that I can do is to be mechaven, 
you know, I can intend towards the way that the Zaihar is being learned in heaven at this moment. All right. So in that respect, I can I can also kind of uh, hang on to to the Rebbe's coattails and and say you know halavai that, uh, that the way that I've you know analyzed this piece will will uh, will be at least the way that Zaihar is being learned at some point uh, at some point in time maybe maybe today and if not to me perhaps tomorrow you know but anyway that is that is my goal and I. And um, I, I hope that uh, you'll find it you'll find it satisfying. Um, so, in order to begin, you know, I do want to focus a lot on on translating the words and before commenting to them and making sure that the words are understand on their you know on their surface meaning and then and then beginning to go into them to to explicate uh, what needs to be uh, perhaps investigated. So. The passage here that I, that we're working with is actually part of a much longer dialogue between between several chachamim that uh, that gathered together after after um, Rabbi Shimon's death to discuss certain topics. You know, you have Rabbi Yehuda, you have Rabbi Abba, uh, you have uh, Rabbi Yitzchak, and there's Rabbi Acha. Rabbi Yossi. So you have a, a collection of Chachamim that are having actually a very long conversation. But I'm, we're just beginning with the passage where it says, Rabbi Yehuda Sha'al Rabbi Abba. As Rabbi Yehuda asks Rabbi Abba the following question. Okay, so like I said, this is at the very end of of um, Tzadi Hei Amud Bet. And if you're, let's say, if you're looking at my my copy of the Zohar, it would be the fourth paragraph from the end of the page. You know, different typesets and things. But if you're if you're looking at the at the Zohar on Safaria, it's the same. It's the same way. Actually, Safaria has little little tiny letters next to each paragraph, so it would be paragraph Zion um, towards the end of Tzadihe Amudbet. So, it reads like this: Rabbi Yehuda Sha'al Rabbi Abba. Rabbi Yehuda asked Rabbi Abba, "Haksiv, it's written, Shivat Yemim Soor Lo Yimatzev Vatechem, that for seven days you will not find any sourdough in your homes." So this is the issue of Bal Yirei Bal Yimatzev, which covers two different items. It covers chametz, which we're all more familiar with, and then there's this thing called Soor. So I've been, you know, I've translates or is sourdough which is what it used to be back in the old days um people would keep a little pot of dough which uh contained like the very much the essence of the yeasts that you needed to leaven bread and and you'd feed the yeasts little bits of flour from time to time to make sure that the sourdough was always growing then if you wanted to make some bread you take some of this and you'd mix it in with the dough and that would that would be your um that would be your agent for leavening. Now, bread would leaven without this because the same yeasts that are present in the sourdough are also present in, in naturally in the wheat by itself or in the grains by, by themselves. So you can, you can make chametz without soor, but soor is like the hardcore, the essence of chametz as opposed to, as opposed to bread, which is kind of like the result of the soor. 
And so the Torah is machmir, and it gives us, it tells us, it tells us both not to eat chametz, and not to eat soor, and not even, and not even to have any of it around. There's lo yirelcha, both on soor and on chametz. Truth is that both of these things, there's a tzrichuta. There, you know, it's, it's necessary for our for our kadosh baruch Hu to tell us both of these things, because if he only tells us soor, then we don't know chametz, because chametz is less severe than soor. Soor is the essence of chametz. You know, bread is just the extension of chametz. And if it would only tell us bread, we wouldn't know so'o, because so'o is fundamentally not edible. And so if you want to know what so'o is today, you know, you go down to a store, you buy, you buy yeast. That is, that is so'o um, in, the modern, in its modern form. So we begin with we begin with uh, Rabbi Yehuda begins this question by by pointing out that there is an issue of so'o lo yimatzeh that you have issue bal yireb bal yimatzeh for seven days of Pesach. V'ched hu kol shiva, and the joy is all seven days, which means to say you have simchas yom you have simchat yom tov. Simchas Yantif, as we would say, um, for all seven days. So, Amai lo ishtalim halel kol yamim. Why is there no halel for all these seven days? Sukkot, like on Sukkot. Ishtachachet yamim halel. You have eight days of halel. Bishalimu dechedvata, in the completion of joy kol yoma v'yoma every single day. So that's the question. Ma nishtana Pesach from Sukkot? You have Simchas Yantav, you have Isul, you have uh, Isul Bal Yireh Bal Why shouldn't, why shouldn't, um, why shouldn't Halil be said on all days of Sukkot? Um, excuse me, all days of uh, of Pesach. Now the answer that we're going to get from Rabbi Abba to this question is not at all the answer. That we have uh, from the Gemara, it's, a, it's quite a different, it's it's quite a different thing, and um, and uh, therefore I'll just I'll just say that uh, to, to at least to the best of my recollection, the the answer that you have from the Gemara according to the Pshat is firstly because even though there's kedushat yom for every seven days, but the korban that they used to bring in the Beit Hamikdash is a repetition of the korban of the first day, so you only have halil when there is a when there is a new korban, right? and that you don't, that you do not have on uh, on Pesach, but you do have that on Sukkot. Um, additionally, more on the more on the level of midrash, there is the there is the idea that you don't say Halel on Shvi'ishel Pesach, because that is uh, the time of Kirat Yamsuf, and and even though Am Yisrael said Shira, but um, the Malachim refused to say Halel because. Um, they said to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, "The works of your the works of your hands are drowning in the sea." Okay, you know how can they say how can they say Hallel? All right, and um, and therefore there's no Hallel on Shvi Shel Pesach, and if there's no Hallel on Shvi Shel Pesach, then there certainly isn't going to be Hallel on Chol Hamoed Pesach because Chol Hamoed Pesach should not be better or higher than than Shvi Shel Pesach. So those are the those are the two answers that I recall. Um, but once again, since we're learning Zohar, we're going to go off in a very, very different, very different direction. Um, but in the meanwhile, that's the question. Round off this introduction by welcoming welcoming everybody and hoping that you enjoy and are enriched by what follows. So the question that we have to ask here is, 
understandably, if you have Simchas Yantif for all seven days, so say Halal for all seven days, why not? But how does the prohibition on possessing chametz and uh, and sourdough relate to that? Why why bring in the Isur Bal Yireh Bal Yimatzeh? What does that have to do with Simcha? What does that have to do with, with Halel? You know, that's kind of an odd way of phrasing the question. Like, I don't think that any of us who think we're saying Halel on Pesach are saying Halel because we 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 can't possess uh, we can't possess chametz. That's a reason to say Halel. You know, being happy is a reason to say Halel. I don't know how many how many of us are really happy that we don't have any chametz on Pesach. We don't understand what that you know, what that mitzvah really does for us. So, But Rabbi Yehuda, in his question, is obviously making the point that he wants to connect and say, listen, there's really two factors here, and you have to understand that, that not only do we have Simchas but we even have a sort of, of possessing uh, possess, possessing chametz. And and therefore, we should certainly be saying Hallel all of the all the seven days of Pesach. So this is the first thing that we have to understand, and we kind of have to take a, what they referred to nowadays as a deep dive into the concept of chametz and matzah and balyaroy balyamatzeh and a few and a few other things so i you know beg everybody's patience and um we'll we'll you know get right into it um there's there's a few concepts which are really you know really all over the place in this part, in this part of the Zoyar and and elsewhere, and they're also very well known from from Hasidish Svarim, and and that is that kedusha comes from chachma. Chachma is kadosh, and when chachma shines on Malchus, and there is a revelation of light from chachma to the rest of the Olamis, so then that is called kedusha. So Kodesh, Kodesh and Kedusha have, have, have to do with, with Chochma. Right. Simcha has to do with Bina. And um, as does wine, right? Yain Yisamach Levav Enoish. And uh, the Yain Hamishumar, the, the wine that has been kept in its grapes since the beginning of creation, that's, uh, that's located in Bina. That's the, and that's the origin of, of Simcha's Yantav. So, Simcha comes from Bina, and Kedusha comes from Chachma. And not only is it is it true that, that uh, Kedusha comes from Chachma, but Einig is also an expansion, an extension of Chachma. So when we read something like that we have a mitzvah of Einig Shabbos and Simcha's Yantav, so we know that Shabbos is already more closely related to Chachma, and Yontif is more closely related to Bina. And since Kodesh and Kedusha are from Chachma as well, so it would certainly appear that Kedusha's Hayoim is an extension of Chachma. And therefore the Lashen by Yamim Toivim is that the Yamim Toivim are a Mikra Kodesh. You know, as if, and, and the desire says this and, and you know, elsewhere in this, in this area, that it's like you're inviting, it's like, you know, Bina is inviting Chachma to join. 
And we have to we have to invite Chachma to enter into Bina, and therefore we can have both Kedusha and Simcha at the same time. Although the completeness of Oineg is reserved for Shabbos, so that automatically tells you that Shabbos is is, is more Chachma. And uh, and as I said before, you know, Simcha Yamtiv is more is more Bina. Um, also, the one essence that we one thing that we learned about Chachma from this from this whole thing is that when you are experiencing the level of Chachma, there is no agency other than Hakadosh Baruch Hu. There is no freedom. Hakadosh Baruch Hu does everything. You know, you're all, as it were participants in what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing, but you have no efficacy on your own. It's a madrega. it's really a madrega of, of Hashem is everything and everything is Hashem, and therefore whatever happens is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Mash'en Kain, of course, in ordinary life, where we have a lot of agency and we have a lot of responsibility, we have to do good things and, not, and avoid doing bad things, at the very least, and we're completely responsible for how we create our our lives and that's the that's the state that that we need to be in basically in order to in order to uh become who we need to be and bina is oilam is oilam haba in the sense that that it's a place where your freedom exists as the method that got you here but once you're there freedom is largely just a memory and it's the and freedom therefore becomes the reason why you are receiving all of this simcha but your freedom is not does not exist any longer in the way that it used to where you could make yourself or break yourself through your through your own free will it is it is now a vehicle through which the simcha of oilam haba enters into you now, so in so in so far as your freedom to do something still exists, at least as a memory, so therefore meleches oichel nefesh is permissible on yantuf. In other words, the kind of malacha that you do, the kind of labor that you do in order to allow yourself to eat something, that remains during yantuf. On Shabbos, even Malachas Eichel Nefesh is completely, completely transcended. So in, as, a, as a human being on Shabbos, you don't do any meaningful activity. There is nothing, there is nothing for you to do. There are no tikkunim to accomplish. The only thing that you can do is, ex, is experience Einig by losing yourself to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and realizing that your freedom doesn't exist here and, and from the point of view of Chachma, it never existed at all. Um... You know, on on the level on the level of bina, your chachma has a. I mean, your your um, your freedom has a purpose, okay. But not that it doesn't really do anything. It just allows you to receive the receive the 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 simcha because you're be, you're receiving simcha based upon the the positive actions or lack of actions that you that you accomplished in your life based upon what sort of person you made yourself into, so Sabina is the fulfillment of that. So therefore, Melechas Nefesh, as I said, is is acceptable on Yontif and it's not acceptable on Shabbos. 
Now, once again, so Simchas Yantif is essentially, I mean, Yantif and Simchas is essentially from Bina, but Bina needs to draw in something of the light of Chachma in order for there to be, in order for there to be Kedusha Sayoim. Shabbos is essentially Chachma, and of course there's some Bina that links up with Chachma also, because, you know, every time you have Chachma and Bina, you have both of them. Okay. But here, but here, once again, the bina is only a conduit which allows us to to receive receive the chachma, and therefore be in a, a higher concept of oilam haba than 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 Yontif gives us. Ah, so what does this have to do with with um, the prohibition of of uh, possessing chametz, or even the prohibition of eating chametz? And that is because, to you know, to say it very simply, wherever you have the light of Chachma, there you have the idea that nothing can oppose Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Understandably, since there is, I mean, you know, from the point of view of the light of Chachma, God does everything, and everything, everything is an extension of Hashem's activities and being, and that therefore, as a result, how could there be anything that opposes HaKadosh Baruch Hu? So therefore, if you want to get, you know, the, the best way to get rid of your Yetzirah, okay, is to draw from the light of Chachma, and at that point, at that point, you know, your, your options are severely curtailed, right? And most of the time, this, this loss of freedom is not a positive, not a positive thing for us at this stage, because we're, we're actually in a, in a, in a mode of reality where we actually have to do something, we have to create ourselves. That's our and that's our job, and you know that's our that's our work. Um, so you can't use the you can't use the chokhma shortcut, um, you know, too liberally. But during Pesach, when it becomes very important to liberate ourselves from from being trapped by the world. Or to liberate ourselves from being trapped by Mitzrayim and and uh, whatever you know false ideas Mitzrayim is trying to impress upon us and and um, you know generally the 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 loss of of higher consciousness and and the the uh, slow sinking into embeddedness in physical reality, okay, which seems to be here antithetical to to any kind of belief in Hashem. It's kind of where where everything is meaningless, other than the other than the will of Paro that that uh, holds it all together for you and, and makes makes the you know keeps the universe from sinking into chaos. Right. So since you need to you need to liberate yourself from that and left to your own devices, you know, Bnei Yisrael would simply con- continue to sink. So therefore, Hakadosh Baruch Hu has to liberate them through a a just say a one-time revelation of the light of Chachma, which, which therefore nullifies all of the um, all of the chametz that's in you know that's in the environment. And here, chametz becomes the kind of an archetype for everything that that stands opposite to to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Right. Um, and that really is the is the secret behind uh, you know doing doing. Um, you know, because um, 
well, you know, at least back in the old days, you know, any any candle was always made with uh, was was made with oil. I mean, any lamp was made with oil, and oil is also chokma because you know because oil is oil is silent, and it causes illumination. And therefore, the whole idea of going after chametz leor haner, and and then doing bitul of chametz, and then and then actually doing biur of chametz. So all of that plays out the the idea of chokma. Um, nullifying the antithetical relationship between between our the some elements of the world in which we live and 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 uh, the idea that hashem is everything and that nothing else is real so so therefore the the uh, the idea of chachma which is present in the idea of kedusha sayyim in in the holiday of pesach has a very has a very unique function in terms of bringing us to liberation and and uh, the the joy of Bina by itself, since it does affirm free will. I mean, you know, if you take if you take if you take the the concept of Bina out of out of its sphere, and you and you send it down to Malchut, and you send it from Malchut down to down to us in Oila So Bina is always going to affirm our freedom. It's going to tell us, yes, you have responsibility, and if you you know if you do it you know if you do it right, you'll 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 get the payoff at the end, um, but affirming our freedom to choose at this particular point, when we're when we're so vulnerable to absorption by the um, by the world around us, so simply being absorbed and sucked up into our into our environment, um, which is true about many you know many averas and many many lapses of of um, bad choices you know the bad choice is generally to to throw away your consciousness and and your responsibility and to stop being yourself and simply cave in and give in to to pleasure or to doing what everybody else is doing or 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 doing what comes instinctually and and you know when that happens you're really embedding yourself into the into the world and losing yourself and lo- you know losing yourself there and um i know that since uh since in the podcast universe in which we currently find ourselves it is not um un- you know it's not unacceptable to to uh, mention movies so um you can just imagine the uh in pirates of the caribbean you know the the unfortunate sailors of the uh flying dutchman you know who the longer they stay on the ship the more they morph into into strange kind of sea creatures and coral and and barnacles and eventually they just become part of the ship you know uh so i think that's that's a very metaphorical um application of the idea of of you know how the world can become a trap and and therefore when you're vulnerable to that kind of experience you know getting 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 more abina which affirms your freedom to choose and says, well, yeah, you can, you can make it happen this way or that way. So then, yeah, the, but the most, you know, the overwhelming likelihood is that you're going to sink. So Bina doesn't help you that much, but Chachma can nullify Chometz. Okay. Now why Chometz becomes the root of all evil at this point um, is something that's also worthwhile uh, to discuss. And it's, 
So the gist of Rabbi Yehuda's question to Rabbi Abba is that let's look at Pesach. You have Simchas Yantiv all seven days. And not only do you have Bina in the picture, but you also have Chachma in the picture because of Sa'ur Loi Matzei And true that Rabbi Abba, excuse me, Rabbi Yehuda could have based his question simply on the presence of Kedushas Yamtav, which is there on the first and the seventh day. Um, but he doesn't do that. You know, once again, Kedusha is also a, a manifestation of Chachma. But he, he doesn't do that because um, that would at least give you some kind of out why perhaps you don't have Halel on on um on Cholhamoid right because you don't have kedusha on Cholhamoid you only have you only have simcha but in addition to that i think what he is really saying is that and the reason why he's bringing the question specifically from Isur Balirab Balimotse is because this is a much higher manifestation of Chachma than anything that we have, let's say, during Sukkot, or at any other time. You know, at, any, at, all, at all other times when we have Simchas Yantif and Kedushas Yantif, um, you'd have Isurach, you know, you don't have any Isurach Yilas Chametz. So that means that whatever illumination you're getting from from the from the side of Chachma is 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 not the complete authentic thing. Um, apparently, even on Shabbos, you'd have to ask, why don't we have a Surachilas Chametz on on Shabbos? And of course, you know, or an Surachilas Chametz on on uh, on Shavuos. And you know, all of those are good questions. But there is a there is something very unique about Pesach that there's an aspect of Chachma that that um, you know that shines forth and so no matter well no matter what you're going to have to explain okay on a yantav when you have a very unique and very special very high level manifestation of chachma and you have it for all seven days of yantav together with together with simchas yantav then halil would certainly be appropriate so we're somewhat left here with the question, okay, so what what is this uniqueness of of Chachma that uh that comes forth on on Pesach, which which even on Shabbos we don't necessarily need to to plug into that element of it. But at the very least we kind of, we do kind of understand how is it that the Torah itself refers to Pesach as being Shabbos. Okay, because when we when when it says you know usafartem lochemi mochoras hashabos, okay, um, the intention is that we start counting spheres Aimer from the day after the first day of Pesach. So the first day of Pesach is called is called Shabbos, and um, once you once you understand this very special aspect that uh, that that uh, Chochma plays here, then you also realize that. That this is something that, according to the principles of Chachma, only Hashem is doing. Right. 
and uh, and therefore this is more appropriately referred to as Shabbos than any other any other of the Moadim that we that we celebrate. So I do want to add um, some clarification to to the very specific kind of illumination of Chachma that you have on on Pesach, which which makes it unique and gives it this aspect of of um, of Isur Achilles Chametz and Bal Yirai Bal which is not necessary or, or not uh, not germane to any of the any of the other moyadim. So to begin with, the you know there's also the the use to which the the light of chachma is being is being put, and that is to you know to nullify the the um, possibility of being absorbed into the world. Right. Which, which, as I, which, as I explained, you know, and that is that really is the essential meaning of these, you know, forty, forty nine gates of impurity, this memtech ari tumah, that uh, Hashem has to rescue us from, and uh, you know, it's it's that the environment in which we were in had has become so absorptive, some you know so so absorbent. That just about any place you turn, there is a gate that will lead you from from uh, from you know being yourself to being um, just an aspect of the environment. Um, and the gateways can be you know the gateways are are very numerous, but I guess you can break them down into one of forty nine kinds of gateways. Of course, the the gateway that you don't ever want to lose, the fiftieth gateway, which is the one that makes all the difference. Um, and that's the one that Hashem has to rescue us from going into, is the gateway of complete forgetfulness of the self. Okay? If you completely forget who you are, then all of the all of the gates will absorb you, you know, in in a heartbeat, so to speak. Um, and the only thing that that was keeping Bnei Yisrael from becoming absorbed by whatever gate of Tumah they were confronted with was that they we're holding on still um, to some kind of identity apart from the Egyptian environment. Who are you know? Even if we don't, even if you took your average, you know, your average Ivri um, or your average uh, Ben Israel uh, from that period of time, and you and you ask them, okay, so yeah, you're you're from you're from Israel. Let's say you haven't changed your clothes, you haven't changed your names, you know, you. Uh, uh, you haven't changed your language, but but what does it all mean? Who are you really? What is it? I mean, what are you holding on to? So the person would probably not be able to give you a coherent answer. Okay, but even holding on to that, those those simply extraneous things, you know, uh, my name, the way that I present myself when I dress, and and the language that I speak is sufficient to maintain a kind of core identity that refused. To let itself be completely absorbed by the by the gates of by the gates of Tuma. So, if I want to go back to the to the metaphor again of the uh, of the flying Dutchman, you know, um, you know, there's all there's all sorts of ways that you can be drawn into becoming just part of the ship. <laughs> okay, you know, you can. Um, there's a Chesed angle to it, 
really, you know, because when you just let yourself meld into the whole structure of the bulwark and you become, you know, you become one with all the other coral and all the other sea anemones and, and you know, crabs and things. And, and this is very loving. It would seem to be a very loving experience at that at that particular moment. Of course, you know, after that, it turns out to be, um, a, you know, complete obliteration. Nothing, nothing loving about it. But at least at the moment of transition, it comes across as, as, as a sort of love. Um, or it can give you power you know it can it can you know, look at how powerful the flying dutchman is it lasts forever it you know it can it can fly it can travel on the waves it can travel beneath the waves yeah and um, look how powerful the ship is and when you become you know part of the ship you receive this power you know and of course that also is deceptive but it's but it's a gate of it's a gate of tuma and you know you're going to have all these you're going to have all these gates of tuma including just plain old depression and who cares kind of kind of attitude my life is pretty miserable anyway why don't i just throw in the towel that's also you know that's also one of the potential uh, potential gates of tuma and um, you know ultimately what's keeping people from falling into any of them or all of them is that stubborn clinging to some kind of to some kind of identity even though at that point in time what the identity really means um has become um, you know, probably just a habit or a kind of, st or some kind of, some kind of crazy stubbornness, you know? So, you know, so this Chochmah that's, that's come down to us is, is not just, a, let's say, a very high manifestation of Chochmah, but it, it's also a Chochmah that is adapted to a very, very specific purpose. And that purpose is not always appropriate. Now it's like you know, and it remains appropriate to nullify a chametz to you know to be mavatil and be mavayer chametz once a year, okay, for 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 all eternity because that kind of like resets the you know resets the the stage, okay, so that the um, shall we say the the mem tetshari tuma that are still lurking around in the environment for everybody here um, don't get uh, you know don't become too you know, don't be get, don't get too powerful. So, um, the, the fact that we keep on going through this, this process of, of, uh, not eating chametz and doing, you know, and, 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 uh, doing beer chametz. Okay. The fact that we do this every year kind of resets, you know, resets the, the, um, program for us. Okay, so that we never have to get back to the situation where we're really, you know, really in danger of being completely, completely absorbed by the environment. Okay. Um, but there's another, I mean, there still is another dimension that I want to, that I want to touch upon. If you all forgive me if I, if I seem to be carrying on too much about this. But this is really going to help explain so much about the Haggadah and so much about uh, Mitzvah Tachilat Matzah. I really, I really can't, really can't resist, you know. Um, the, once upon a time I was hearing a shiul and somebody explained the difference. One of my rabbis, I don't remember which one, you know, explained the difference in Chochmah and Bina. And, and he said that Chochmah is like turning on a light in a dark room and suddenly everything is there. Okay. So what Chochmah really is is about the transition between the nothingness of Hashem's will 
for there to be something. And the actual something that at least begins to make a make an emergence. And, and like, what is the relationship between the source and the emergent reality itself? And so what's if you think of Chokhmah as being a circle, and as we've talked about this previously, if you think of Chokhmah as being a circle, what's the relationship between the dot in the center of the circle and the and the circumference of the circle, the the elements that make up the the periphery? And you know, in in Bina, there is a there's a, a time factor, so to speak. There's a, there's a structure that needs to be created out of all of these elements. Okay, but with but with Chokhmah, each element itself relates to the center, and because each each element is still one with the center, therefore they all fit in the circle, equidistant. Uh, from the center, but there's no there's no need to impose a structure, or to create a meaningful structure out of out of this. It is it is it is what it is, just because it is, and that kind of fits in with the with the Mishnah and Masechet Avot that everything that Hakadosh Baruch Hu created, He created for His glory, for His you know lichavodo. Right. So if there's you know so if there's a, a a little rock over there or a little bug flying around or or a, or a whole galaxy someplace, so that is you know that's that's created as a manifestation of Hashem's of Hashem's kavod, and you don't need to you know ask any other justification for its existence other than other than it it uh, it shows Hakadosh Baruch Hu, um, just by being there, right. So the amount of time it takes to get from the source to the periphery is instantaneous. And this is this turns out to be very very important for for Yitzias Mitzrayim. The challenge of Yitzias Mitzrayim and the thing that actually makes Mitzrayim such an such a um such a helpful environment for the for the memtet shari tumah is that in the language of the of, of the rishonim they had a belief in kadmut ha'elam and they they had a belief that the universe is eternal which according to the kadmonim was associated with with the aristotelian idea that the universe is simply not created it just always is um, and one of our Talks, uh, Rabbi Kivalevich and I, we we dwelled upon the possibility of another interpretation that would be more in keeping with actual, you know, with actual uh, Egyptian mythology. But the but the idea is the same. As a matter of fact, maybe the Egyptian myth- mythological version has a, has a better handle on it. You know, the universe is eternal because it always seems, from our point of view, to be ever expanding. It's like maybe the universe has a beginning, but the beginning keeps receding in time. And the reason why this is, is 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 logical, really, because every time I conceive of a beginning, I end up asking myself, "Well, what's on the other side of that beginning?" I mean, there's no such you know, I mean, there's no such thing as a one-sided reality. So the other side of the beginning has to have be has to have something there too. So there has to be a beginning to the beginning. There has to be a, you know something that precedes the beginning. So at that at that point, you know, your universe just keeps on expanding. You know, so if I try to say, "Well, the beginning was was uh, was." You know, five thousand, whatever, how many years ago? Okay, well, what, what what came before that? And then I have to presume an earlier beginning, and an earlier beginning, and an earlier beginning. So you you really 
stuck with a model of of an expanding eternally expanding universe more than you're maybe necessarily stuck with a, a plainly eternal universe or what happens actually is through the logic of the expanding universe you uh, eventually hit upon the idea that okay so you know the universe is eternal I'm mean, let's stop playing this game all right and um um the you know the inability for for logic or at least conventional logic to kind of grasp the idea of there being a beginning point without something that preceded it um is is fundamental to to um the ever expanding universe or or the or the eternal universe so so chametz which is expanding bread and 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 bread remember always um always uh plugs into the idea of dot and consciousness okay cuz uh, remem- remember that one of the uh, one of the opinions about what the etzadat tovara was 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 wheat okay because a child doesn't you know doesn't ever say father and mother doesn't say abba and ima before he's tasted the taste of wheat i mean at least at least as a cereal okay and that's uh, that's the gemara i believe mesachas uh, eruvin so so chametz is gives you this you know gives you this idea of the ever expanding universe and the longer you live in it the farther away or the more difficult it becomes to conceive of that point of beginning that is before the universe okay even if you try to hang on to that belief but it's a continually it's an eternally receding belief now why is this why is this important it's important because from the point of view of Chokhmah, Hashem's Chokhmah is not just, you know, in the heavens, outside the universe that way. It is before the universe in the same sense that, in the same sense that the source relates to the extremity, the beginning relates to the result. Um, Bereshit, as you know, which is in the beginning, right? Which refers to that that uh, that transitionary moment between being and nothingness. Okay. Um, also, also means according to the Targum Unculus Bechachmata with you know with wisdom. Okay? So there is a there is a wisdom that hides behind the beginning of time. And to be the object of that chokhmah was to be the one or to be a one which that chokhmah has envisioned means that you me israel were there with hakadosh baruch Hu. we were there in hakadosh baruch Hu's chokhmah before the beginning of creation and therefore the time it takes to transition between the the origin and the reality of Israel is instantaneous, essentially, essentially no time. However, when you actually come to creation, then the Bnei Israel begin to occupy a certain location within the framework of time, and once again, due to the Chometzdike expansion of time, our ability to connect. To the origin to Bereshit, which we all know, you know, Bishvil Yisrael Shenikru Reshis, right? Yisrael is the is the is the point of creation, because 
well, we'll we'll see we'll see a bit more about why that is anyway. Um, the ability for ourselves to remember ourselves or to think of ourselves as being the purpose of creation, to be able to say Bishvili Nivra Ha'olam, becomes more and more tenuous the more expansive the universe becomes. And in fact, you know, like one of the biggest um, atheistic challenges that you have to, to faith today uh, simply comes not so much from the time frame of the universe, which is, which is ginormous, okay, but, but simply from the size of the universe. The universe is so, so, so incredibly large. Maybe it's infinite, maybe it's not. But, but you know, you think of how many galaxies and how many, you know, and how many light years and, and, uh, and you know, there are, there are whole galaxies that, you know, takes millions and millions of years for the light to travel between that galaxy over there and our galaxy. And in a universe that is so huge, you know, how can anybody say this little speck of, rock floating around this little ball of hydrogen gas and these little people who are running around on this little ball doing doing all sorts of stuff much of it not very helpful um how can any one of these people stand up and say yes bishvili nivra hoilam i'm the purpose of creation okay now you know, if you if you think about it deeply enough, you I think you will always see that that since your consciousness is unique, and you're you know you have a unique consciousness that nobody else has, and and the phenomenon of, of consciousness is not shared by the vastness of space. So if you figure one consciousness in the middle of the vastness of the universe is more significant than the entirety of the universe. And maybe it requires the entirety of the universe for this point of consciousness to realize its own meaning, you know, as a single point of light that has the value because of its own ability to understand things, or to understand itself, or to understand HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It has the value of an entire um, unconscious, largely inanimate, brilliant, but not self-aware cosmos. Okay, so when you factor in when you factor in consciousness and, and human identity, that actually does change the change the equation. In any event, like I said, one of the major challenges for for a religious attitude in in the world in the scientific uh, paradigm of today is the idea that a human life can actually mean something to somebody. It can mean something to God. It can mean something to God who is, who is, let's say, above and beyond and without the entire amazingly infinite and, and insanely gigantic universe. Like, yeah, like, how does that work? Okay. So we, you know, I tried to explain in, in some sense how it works. It has to do with, with, with human identity, with the nature of consciousness. The nature of consciousness changes everything once you factor it into the equation. But at that point that you realize the nature of your own consciousness, at that point you also connect to the Bereshit of which you are really a part at the moment that Hashem creates. And there's something of that breshit that comes leaping across 
endless light years of space and endless and you know endless eons of time okay to leap between bereshit all the way to you know lel haseder to imprint itself on you and help you realize your true nature so this chokhmah this particular manifestation of chokhmah is highly relevant to to pesach it's not so relevant let's say for other things like you know shabbos doesn't doesn't mean that it's not there but it just you know shabbos also is sof maseb machshavatchila but the particular relevance between that kind of chokhmah and and what is absolutely necessary for getting us out of mitzrayim is not so is not so um relevant and useful at uh, during other during other moadim or on or on uh or on Shabbos. Primarily because if you think about it, you know, the Moyadim and Shabbos are, are reflections of, of Oilam Haba. So so Oilam Haba is where you get to after you've you know after you've gone out of Mitzrayim and after you've been to Har Sinai and after you've gone into Eretz Yisrael and after your you know after your whole life has played itself out and that's that's like you're communing with the end result. You're communing with the end goal. Right? So for that you don't need this particular kind of revelation of I am the racious kind of um kind of experience that, that I've been trying to describe. Right? So you don't really need that for Shabbos and Yantav. But you certainly certainly need it for you certainly need it for Pesach, because Pesach is your is your is your point of origin. And so this relates to the Leila said there in a number of ways, which is which is part of the reason why I'm going into this at such length. First of all, what does what does matzah mean? Well, matzah is the opposite of chametz. Chametz is expansiveness, especially time. You know, because chametz expands the more time you let it sit, and matzah has never expanded. And matzah has never undergone that expansion. So when you eat matzah, you are eating the taste of this. Chokhmah, this this taste of of there being no time factor between the origin and the result, between the racious and the achris, between the between the 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 intention and the purpose, right? And and therefore Hashem can come as Chazal say, you know, midaleg al heharim mekapetz al hagvaot. You know, there's a leaping over leaping over the mountains. And and jumping over the valleys, um, in order to in order to come from the very beginning of time all the way through history to land on our our lil haseder and make us into people who can stand up to the to the uh, absorb absorb absorbent qualities of the environment in which we in which we live. And as a matter of fact, once you get like, what does it mean now to receive the tachlis? Well, when you, when you receive, when you realize that you are the tachlis, it doesn't mean that it's all for me in the sense, in the narcissistic sense. It means that that it's up to me to learn how to view this phenomenon in my environment, which otherwise I would I would let's say, you know, just give myself over to and absorb myself, allow it to absorb me, you know, and become me. And instead, I take it into myself and I make it part of my nishama. I, you know, I use it to, for the fulfillment of a mitzvah. And 
as part of the fulfillment of a mitzvah, it also becomes part of my reality of, of Olam Haba. So it goes from being, you know, it goes from transitioning between Olam Hazet to a kind of, to, to an element of Olam Haba. So at the same time that I am disconnecting from the environment which absorbs me, okay, I am constructing an environment on a completely, on a, on a, on a much higher level, basically, really on a Bina level, truthfully, um, where I can be, where I can be free, where I can, where the, where the elements of that environment, um, are no longer there to, to, um, to absorb me. They're, they are there to sustain me and that Hashem is basically shining at me through all of these, um, memtet sha'arim that would have been sha'ari tuma had we not undergone the, the, the process of, of, uh, of receiving the chokhmah and, and letting the chokhmah make the difference. So, and I would venture to uh, propose that within the within the process of spherus Eimer, you have you have precisely that uh, that thing. When you're counting weeks, okay, you're counting the environment in which we live in. You know, the natural world, which is always based upon the num the number seven. So that absorptive absorbent world where we where we need to um, learn how to detach from to realize our inner potential and to and to know that it's, it's up to us to take this phenomenon and make it into a part of our own neshama and therefore make it part of our olam haba. Um, so that world is forty-nine seven times seven. Um, I would propose that the the olam haba reality is fifty. That's the seven times seven, which which equals fifty, uh, because there is it's it's always number one. It's always called nun sharei bina. And uh, and uh, Bina is the first letter Hey of of Hashem's name, so that's you know five times ten. That's that's fifty, and and therefore it's the number fifty that needs to emerge out of. You know, it's 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 the number fifty which is. Five times ten okay, that needs to emerge out of the number forty nine which is seven times seven and that's really that's really the purpose of of sphere slimer is to is to make that that kind of that kind of transformation but the transformation is completely contingent upon what we receive on the on the first day of pesach because if you don't have if you don't have the the chokhmah that comes to us through the subconscious and subterranean channel of history you know leaping over hills and dales and charging at us at the faster than the speed of light because right? it's because it's really it's really instantaneous um, if you don't that have the, if you don't have that basis of chokhmah then you're also not going to have the basis of chokhmah that shines down to you and gives you the capacity to start making the making all the transformations and turning nun shari tuma into or memtet shari tuma into into nun shari bina okay. so first of all that's the you know that's mitzvah achilat matzah needless to say you know you if you didn't, if you did not previously eliminate 
the Sa'or and Chametz from your environment, right, then you might, by the time you're in a position to actually understand that you are the Tachlis and experience that Achilat Matzah, it could have been too late. Okay, and the the fact that you can experience mitzvah tachilat matzah at all has to do with because to some extent the the chokhmah has already been operative in some subtle way to at least give you um, give you a kind of hajbasat, give you a kind of nullification of the of the of the power of chametz or the power of the expanding universe. So you have to mitigate the power of the expanding universe in order for you to experience the 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 leaping and jumping. Of the of the chokhmah from the from the reshit to the to the tachlit from the beginning to the purpose. And the last thing that I want to point out is the difference between you know the ben chacham and the uh, the ben rasha. Because you know what makes the ben chacham uh, you know the ben chacham ben chacham what 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 makes him wise. So he is wise in two ways. The wisdom is composed of of two elements. Uh, The first is that he has a tolerance for complexity. he He can grasp complex symbolisms. You know, ma ha'idut v'chukim v'hamishpatim asher tzivanu v'hashem elokeinu etchem. You know, the fact that he's, you know, the fact that he's willing to use his mind to to absorb all these patterns and and juxtapositions and the way things come together and the, you know, the way that you have matzah and pesach and moror on a on a, on a particular date, and he's he's willing to grapple with these stuff, these things, and try to find try to find their meaning. Right. But more important than that, which makes him which makes him smart, but it doesn't make him wise. He also realizes that there is no truth unless you identify with your people. Now, this is this is tricky because this is this is a philosophically very uh, you know somewhat dangerous idea. Okay, because it, it it tends to it tends to undermine the sense of objectivity that you know as if as if you can really really say oh these are these are the facts, this is the proper interpretation, this is the proper understanding. So you know no first of all you don't exist in a vacuum. You are part of this people. This people have had a commitment to some kind of idea, and to some kind of identity, and they've been clinging to this identity for the past. Uh, Two hundred and ten years, ever since they've been, ever since they've been down in Egypt, and the women in particular have had tremendous masirut nefesh to continue to bring babies into the world, even when there seems to be absolutely no reason to reproduce, because any child that's born is just destined for a life of slavery, and and then after after a certain point, destined for drowning in the river. So why why invest all this energy in reproduction? Why? continue to get pregnant why continue to to have sex why continue to come home or you know stand you know stand in front of the mirror and make yourself pretty so that so that your husband will will be affectionate to you and and you'll have sex in the, in the middle of Egypt in the middle of the most hopeless position that any person could possibly be in why well because they knew they felt intuitively and instinctively that that there is a reason to continue forward there is a reason to continue living. There's a re- reason to continue to reproduce. Okay. 
and the, you know they they knew that their 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 ancestors you know uh Rifka, Rachel and Leah and Bilhan Zilpa actually as well you know they were very very committed to reproducing to having children this was this was something that they did fanatically okay. um and once again there has to be a reason why this group of people clings to life wants to continue is willing to continue no matter what the odds are no matter no matter what um even if it doesn't even make any sense to continue under these under these circumstances and so therefore the the this nation this this people have still this sense of belonging to each other and belonging to a chain of descent which has a purpose for being even if you know maybe we've lost it we don't understand it we don't know but we know what our ancestors gave us and they gave us an intense desire for life and a belief that there's something worth striving towards and that we need we need to continue um so which kind of if anybody wants to look up uh you know this philosopher called Schopenhauer who who claimed that at the heart of of the world is a blind will that is blind meaningless and basically bad very pessimistic philosopher you know who claimed that that you know this this will to continue is is is, is just bad and we should really stop the world and get off and 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 use our intellect to to find something meaningful for life but he you know he thought that the whole idea of family reproduction everything is just it's just just a waste of time because it's just blind you know blind biological determinism why should anybody submit to that um and um Ruff Cook in his in, in his Orota Kodesh really has like the worst possible things to say about about uh, Schopenhauer and the and his his new pessimism you know because actually the, the 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 desire to go forward biologically through time is a fulfillment of of the purpose of creation it's not um you know it's it's not a meaningless surrender to to this genetic determinism anyway I'll call upon him when you're looking at, you know, when you're at the seder, at the Lila seder, okay, and, and and let's say the the wise son is looking at the as looking at the at the stuff on the stuff on the table, you know, the carbon pesach, the matzah, the mora, and he's saying, what does it mean? But he's also saying he also understands that if I want to know what it means, if I want to understand this bit of complexity, I need to see myself as being part of this people. And when the Ben Chacham does that, he realizes, first of all, what's the matzah? Because he feels it happening. He feels the jump. And the jump is matzah. Okay? And and he feels, you know, and he obviously feels the moror. Right? Because the moror is the is the is the is that which to which the that which the matzah needs to overcome. Right, and and the the and the carbon pesach is the exaltation and freedom of of not needing to be controlled by the 
memtet shari tuma that would like to absorb me. I can I can stand back. I can I can be myself. I can have I can have freedom to determine. Am I, you know am I going to do this or am I not going to do this? How am I going How am I going to relate to this? I don't need to let this thing absorb me. I can take it into myself and transform it, and use it as use it as a mitzvah and use it as as a new as a new way of establishing a higher form of life. So all of those all of those you know that complex of ideas, okay, is sitting right there on the on the center plate. But in order to understand them, he first has to, in a sense, give himself over to the spirit of his people. Don't stand apart from your people. As you have you have a moral obligation basically that if you are if you're part of a struggling social group, you have a moral obligation to to identify with your social group, to take part in its struggles and to take part in its triumphs, and not to hold yourself back. And the only way that you can understand what this social group is ever supposed to be and what it really is, is by participating in it. Now, as opposed to the more objectively minded Rasha, who says, zot lachem. I mean, this is, okay, I see these pieces, I see this complex puzzle, why should I even bother with it? It doesn't, I mean, you know, you can have puzzles that don't mean anything. So why do I, you know, why do I need to be involved in this? And he takes himself out of the group because he says, you know, so it's your problem. It's not my problem. I'm objective. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to look at things objectively and, and, you know, make the best possible decision, decisions for me. I don't need to identify with you guys, you know, and, and as, as Chazal say by the Ben Rasha, you know, he takes himself out of the community. So therefore, therefore he's denied God. Which is a little bit hard to, uh, you know, explain until you understand everything that's in this, in the, in, in the background that I've been, that I've been trying to lay out. Okay. So that's my explanation of the concept of Chochmah as it relates specifically to Lel HaSeder. And it's really going to be the foundation for, for everything that comes um, further on in this, in this, uh, in this uh, dialogue in the, in the Zohar. Um, and we're going to have to continue with this. Bezrat Hashem. And I guess we're going to have to do it because that's the way we do things. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 